Hello everyone and welcome back to Too Smart For This, a podcast dedicated to knowing better and doing better for ourselves and others. I'm your host, Alexis Barber, and in today's episode, we have my fellow Northwestern grad and Googler, Ceci Marshall. She's the face behind Finances Reimagined, an Instagram page that is all about a smart approach to managing your money, and she delivers it in such a digestible way. We talk through her background, what to do when you start making money for the first time and start from zero, and how to build wealth long-term once you have your finances down. Check her out at Finances Reimagined, and let's get into the episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on, especially as a fellow wildcat. That sounds so cringe to say out loud, but (laughs) a fellow Northwestern grad and Googler. So I'm so happy to chat with you today. Yeah. I mean, we've been combined in lots of spaces in life, you know, both content creators, wildcats, work at Google, you know, very different people, but also have so many synergies, which is fun. So I'm excited to be on. I've always wanted to be on your. Yay. I'm so glad. Yeah. It's so funny. Like um, I have to say a huge thank you to you because I don't think I would understand any of my Google salary or my stock or any of it if it was not for you. So thank you so much. And that's why I'm so excited to share your knowledge with everyone on the podcast today. Yeah, one of the things, so I recently did a, a talk at Google um, mm. to women, and I spoke about all these things, and now I have all these follow-ups on my calendar about like, you know, what does this mean, and what does that mean, and what does this mean, and how do I do all these things? But but honestly, I, I always tell people I am like super passionate about the topic, so for me, I love talking about it, and since personal finance is typically so taboo, and people don't like sharing their salaries, and don't like sharing, you know, how they think about their comp. I love Mm -hmm. to be sort of a stand-in friend that someone doesn't really know, but is there to be helpful and guide them through the process. So that's kind of been the most sort of fulfilling part of starting my Instagram and also doing this with Googlers. Yeah, I think it's like very that's not also that's also just not something you're saying. Like I remember when I first started at Google, like we had like a three hour call where you're just explaining things to me and that like it was so much time out of your day, but I can tell that you are genuinely passionate about it. And I think that's also why your page, Finances We Imagine, does so well as well, because it's like, obviously you care a lot about it and it's really well put together. So um, I'd love to get started with a few rapid fire questions so people can get to know you and then we can jump into some frequently asked finance questions. How does that sound? Sounds great. Throw them at me. I'm here for it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Appetizers or dessert? Always dessert. Instagram or TikTok? Instagram, though I wish I did the TikTok thing. I need to get started on that. It's it's a lot. It's very different. I'll say that. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, favorite TV show of all time? Ooh. Um, I would say either Law & Order SVU or The Ooh. Crown. Whoa, very different, but I'd love to see both of them. Very mysterious. Um, Do you have a favorite book or podcast? Favorite book or podcast? Um, I loved the four-hour work week. That one was Mm -hmm. great. Atomic Habits was one I recently read, and it was a life change. I know that's corny, and people say that all the time, but I really think it was life-changing at changing my mindset around how I do things and why I do them and like what makes me happy and makes me feel accomplished. And so Mm. I would say those two are like my most recent podcast. Mm. 
I listen to a ton of different podcasts, but I would say How I Built This is probably yeah, one of my favorite. That's a good favorites. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love that podcast. That's so good. Um, and then uh, finally, what do you know your sun, moon, rising sign or your astrological like sun sign? I, I don't know my moon rising. I haven't mm-hmm. super gotten into astrology, but I am a Sagittarius and I've been told that I'm a strong Sag. Yes. Well, I'm also a Sagittarius, so I'm here for that. When's your When's your birthday again? Uh, December 19th. Okay, word. I am December 7th. Oh, that's so nice. You're like a little further from Christmas, so people yeah. don't clump it in together. Well, they end up doing it. Like It's like, you know how they're like, oh, we'll, we'll celebrate you on Christmas or we'll celebrate yeah. you on your birthday, and then you don't get presents for either. Yep. It's like, okay, like what is this? But Yeah, um, I had a large discussion with my friends uh, my friends and my family about this because I was like you guys need to think of it as two separate dates please two everybody like the people with birthdays in the summer I was always so jealous of because they would get like two separate six month apart like opportunities to celebrate and I would never get either Uh, but yeah I feel you I feel you the most so I love a fellow Sagittarius it explains why you're so good at teaching things to people so I really want to take advantage of that. And also just before we get started, learn a little bit more about you. Um, I obviously know your background, but I'd love to hear about where you went to school, what you're doing now, and what led you to start your Instagram. Yes, of course. Um, so I went to Northwestern, just like Alexis. Uh, I studied psychology and integrated marketing communications. I did um, not know you were a psych major. I am obsessed. That's my second passion, I would say, Mm -hmm. is psychology. I love reading psych books, which probably Atomic Habits is a psychology book. That's the fascination of how the human mind makes decisions to me is is wild. Mm -hmm. Um, But I studied that. I also entered college. I'm a very emotional person. So I entered college and thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And so that's why Mm. that started. Um, yeah, so I studied a psychology and IMC, which was business marketing basically. Um, and then I went on to start at Google full-time. I also was a Google intern like Alexis before Mm -hmm. I graduated. So I got my return offer, um, in December of my senior year. Um, so I got a return offer. I actually deferred my start date. Um, and I took a year off to travel because I was graduating early um, and so I traveled all over, which was an amazing experience. And I'm so happy I did that before COVID. And then once yes. I started at Google, I started at YouTube, which Alexis is at now. Um, and I started on the chief of staff team for the chief marketing officer at YouTube, um, which was an awesome experience, kind of stressful, but really like a great experience from a visibility, like being a fly on the wall standpoint. Um, And then I worked as an interim chief of staff for the VP of YouTube Music, YouTube Premium, and YouTube TV. And then I went on to work in revenue strategy, which I'm at now um, within Google Ads. So not as sexy a part of the business as YouTube or as fast paced, but I've always been told by mentors and by people I talk to that knowing the Google Ads business is a fundamental need for becoming a manager or director or a senior person at Google because you kind of need to know how the business runs. So that's kind of in short, kind of long, my experience Mm -hmm. in getting to where I'm at. Um, I think really what started my 
uh, interest in the personal finance space was I had sort of a little breakdown my junior year of college where I had like $200 left in my name. And I, I called my dad and I was like, how am I supposed to live on this? Right? Like, how am I supposed to move to San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in the country after college and live on, on nothing? And he was like, well, you need to save your money. And like, I'd always been told to save, you know, I hadn't been sat down and been like, you know, here's what a Roth IRA is and here's what a brokerage account is. And so I started asking friends because I was like, there's no way that you save your way to becoming a millionaire, right? And I realized that no matter the socioeconomic status of my friends, like regardless of whether they were from the Upper East Side of New York or Middletown, Iowa, right? Like no one knew what personal finance was or the decisions they were supposed to make. And even to this day, like at 25, friends of mine don't know what they're doing. And so it's been really, really helpful to start talking to them about it. And especially in college to form that group of friends. And then finally, one of my friends last year looked at me and said, hey, why don't you do this on a bigger scale? Like you're helping the, you know, 15 of us, but you're not, mm -hmm. You, I think you could help more people. And you're obviously extremely passionate about it because you love talking about it. <laughs> so I, uh, that's kind of what birthed finances reimagined. And I mean, if you go back to the first couple of posts, they were awful. They were like truly, truly cringeworthy. But over time, it's kind of come into its own and become, you know, a brand and also a place where people can go to ask all their questions. I try to answer as many DMs as possible. But as you know, um, 100 plus DMs happens real quick. So yeah, it's um, a lot. Yeah. So that's kind of what led me to where I am now. And now I'm really focused on like, what's the best way to get people started. Um, and to really focus on enjoying their life while also, you know, being responsible with finances. I love that. And so it's a, first of all, I love that it came from a place of like personal need. And then you realize everyone around you. And I mean, we were in the same environment in college, the financial, like, I think since we went to school near a city, people spent a lot more money than they yeah. would in a typical college town. And they were sort of spending as if they already lived in a big city because for us, we had to Uber to go out. We were buying drinks at clubs. We weren't like just going yep. to a frat basement, you know? So spend. So it was a much more expensive, especially Evanston, rent-wise is yeah. out of control expensive. So we were spending a lot more money a lot earlier in life. So that's a really like – very clear experience that I think we had that we really have to start to figure out, especially before you move to the most exp expensive city in the world. So yeah. for you, what was probably the most um, impactful first resource you found to figuring out your personal finance that junior year when you had $200? Yeah. So when I tried to go around to find things, you know, this was back I don't know what year it was when I was a junior, but when personal finance gurus like didn't really exist on the internet and you had some personal finance creators on YouTube because YouTube had already become a huge thing, but you didn't quite have, you know, as much education spaces on Instagram as you do today. So what I started to do was I started to watch YouTube videos, but I found that YouTube videos, because they're 15 to 20 minutes, are just like a part of the overall narrative. So mm -hmm. I actually started to read books. And I would say the most impactful book I read, which I know you agree because I've seen it on your page, was I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit. And he was, that honestly, like was a life-changing 
book for me, just like Atomic Habits. I know I say life-changing often, but um, I actually messaged Ramit this past, in the past couple months, because I was like, you know, I do personal finance now. And so I actually like had a conversation with him via email, which was, which was really nice to just be like, you know, you inspired this whole journey, which, so I highly recommend that as the first book. Absolutely. It's so funny. So the reason I got that book was because during my internship, he did a talk at Google and I went and I, to his talk at Google and like listened to the whole thing. And then he also, uh, me and my, my brought my boyfriend and we like bought his books. He signed them. We talked to him. He is the nicest person. Like he was so kind to us. He was like, what are your goals? What do you want to do? Like he had no need to stand there and talk to us like 19 year old moment, but like he did and he's wonderful. And like that book is just such a realistic approach to personal finance and very prescriptive and it's so wonderful. So I love that we share that, that resource. Um, so for you then, what is probably the biggest question people ask you on a day-to-day, like in your DMs when it comes to their finances? Like what is it, what are people struggling with? I think by far and above the biggest question I get is something along the lines of how do I get started, right? I think like what's most overwhelming about personal finance is there are so many things you need to be responsible for budgeting, saving, investing, retirement, like making sure you're enjoying your life while also making sure your income is high while also making sure that all of these things are aligning. And I think that with a lot of people, they just don't know what step one is. And so I have this um, templated response I give people um, for how do I get started where there's literally a step process. Um, I also get a lot of questions about like, what are resources I should look for? One thing I haven't done is I haven't created a course or something like that where I can, you know, direct people to that. I only meet with people one-on-one, but I tend to, you know, direct them towards books. So, you know, I I will teach you to be rich or um, the psychology of money is another really, really good one that talks more about how we emotionally make decisions with money. Um, But I would say my two most common questions are, how do I get started? Or, you know, what resources should I use? to, you know, get started investing or get control of my personal finances other than your Instagram page. So I love that. So I'd love to give a scenario then like say, um, somewhat, a lot of my followers are in college or just graduated from college and are starting their, their first job or in an internship. How would you recommend that they set up that uh, set themselves up for success, perhaps if they have student loans or credit yep. card debt that they need to take into consideration. Yeah. So, so my step process, and I always like to simplify it. Obviously, you know, we can get more complex than this, but simplifying it is one map out your income and become aware of what you're spending on. I will always, always, always say that the first thing you need to do is just understand your current situation, right? Like how much do you make per month and how much do you on average spend per month, right? Like you can be sort of, once you do that exercise, you become a lot more aware of what you spend on. Um, I would say after that exercise, you start to realize like how much you really have to put places other than maybe the minimum payment on your student loans or minimum payment on credit card debt. So my first step for people is always an emergency fund. You need to have some sort of savings to be able to catch you if something, you know, 
just suddenly happens. Like, you know, six months ago, something happened with my car and this light went on and it was beeping for 24 hours. And I was like, okay, I need to take this in today. And it ended up being like a $600 fix. But because you have your emergency fund, you totally feel like it's not a huge deal. I can pay for it. It'll be totally fine. And you don't have to go into further debt for it. So that's step one, I would say. Step two is get rid of the high interest debt. So once you've accumulated an emergency fund, stop adding to it, right? Like once you get to three to six months of expenses, you don't need more in savings. I think that's like one of the biggest sort of mistakes I see people make is they put, you know, 12, 24 months of savings in just a regular savings account. And I think that that's losing money on your money. Um, and we can go into that later, but I would say the second thing is definitely pay off that credit card debt. The interest rates are absurd these days, Alexis. Like Out you have, control. like you have 29% interest rates. I was seeing a client the other day who had um, credit card debt, you know, multiple um, different credit cards. And one of them was like 34%. And I, you know, that's absurd. And so um, I always say that those are the first things we're going to tackle from a from a payoff perspective before you get started investing. And I know it hurts to physically mm. do that, but you know, paying off your credit card debt is key first. Now, the other debt that I don't think you need to stop investing before you pay off is um, student loans. So I say to people, you know, if you don't have any high interest debt, like over seven percent interest rate, it'll tell you on all of your loans. Um, then go contribute up to your match in your 401k, right? Because that's free money. Like, you know, mm. Google gives us a match for our employee um, contributions and then they tack on top of that. Go contribute up to your match, whether it's 2%, 3%, 5%, 10%, whatever it may be, put that minimum in there so that you can get that free money. And then you can also pay off your student loans while you're doing that, right? Student mm. loans are on pause currently if they're public, until January. So take advantage of that time to pay off either your high interest debt and not have to make your minimum payments or to take advantage of that 401k match. And then if you're like, hey, you know, I'm an overachiever. I've done all of these things. I, you know, have paid off my loans. I've gotten the match or I've paid off my high interest loans. I've gotten the match. I'm still paying off my student loans, but I want to do something else. Um, then your number one thing to go to next is your Roth IRA. Um, it's the only tax uh, advantage vehicle that the government has for you and you never have to pay taxes on it again. So I always say that that's kind of the next step to go there. So if you're newly out of college, those are kind of the biggest things I would look at um, are those four things because um, I want you to enjoy your first few years out of college. I don't need to stress about investing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, but I want you to think about, you know, what are the biggest places you can put small amounts, but have the most impact for you. Perfect. So that's very, very helpful to recap. We're going to start off by having our emergency fund. We're going to pay off high interest debt. Then we are going to go ahead and invest in that 401k to get that match, whatever it is. Then you can take a look at student loans. And if you're an overachiever, Roth IRA. Great. Yes, Perfect. Exactly. Okay. Love to see it. That's what I've been <laughs> preaching myself. So then if you, the next step for someone who maybe does want to invest or doesn't want to work until they are 65 years old, 
I, this is also something I've struggled with. I get this question a lot. That's like, how do I get started investing? And like, I've gotten started, but I'm not sure I'm doing it right. Like, what can I do about this? What would you say is the best resource to get started with investing if you're maybe 24 and don't want to think about it, but just want to automate something? Yeah. So a couple things with automation. So I, that's actually something I do with my budget every month is I automate how my income is controlled. So it's really easy if you have, you know, I I know you preach on your Instagram channel, like try to make all these things easy for you because the easier they are, the more you'll do them. So I try to automate my investments in the same way that you were talking about. And I would say there's two kind of uh, key things you could do if you don't want to think about it. Um, One thing, which is what I got started in while I was in college, this was the first thing I went to was getting a robo advisor. Because if you're like, hey, I actually, I don't have the time to read a book or I just really don't want to pick my own investments, you can go to robo-advisors. Like I think there's like Wealthfront and Betterment and a couple others out there that'll basically assess your risk tolerance. And if you're young, your risk tolerance is relatively high because you don't need that money immediately. And they will do it for you for a very, very low fee. And so if you're like, hey, I'm in college or recently out and I don't want to think about it, those are awesome options to get started in where you don't have to worry about um, what you're investing in. The other thing I would say is if you're like, hey, you know, I don't mind getting started reading a book or, you know, automating, but I don't really want to have to touch it every month and I don't want to have to go look at it. I would recommend automating your investments into the funds you invest in. So If you open a brokerage account or a Roth IRA, you can actually set it up so that your bank, like a Vanguard or a Fidelity or a Schwab, automatically invests the money for you when it's deposited. And so if you invest in something simple like an index fund, it'll do it for you. It'll do it for you every time money is deposited there. And so that's those are the two things I would probably recommend. I personally started with a robo-advisor, but then I moved on to just automating my investments. So if you are young and you have a low risk tolerance, or if you just want to do something that you know is a really great, simple decision, what is the difference between doing an index fund and, or like figuring it out yourself? Like, where would you say is the best place to start there? Yeah. I mean, I would always say index funds are the best place to start. They're the most objective funds you can ever invest in. And I always try to explain this to my clients of, you know, the objective versus the subjective. So we like to think of it as like passive and active. So if something is objective, it's based on something that no one can argue with, that no one can change. Like an index fund is like, the top 500 companies or all the companies in the stock market or the top 2000 companies, right? Like you have the S and P 500 or something like that. No one can fight you on like what the top 500 companies are. Cause it's actually just based on the value of the company. So that there's like a list of that and the government keeps track of that. So no matter where you go, index funds are going to be the same if they're of the same sort of list, top 500, top a thousand, whatever it may be. Now, the other side is actively managed, which means it's a little bit more subjective, right? Those are the ones that would take a little bit more research. So if you have a low risk tolerance, I would highly recommend just going into passive funds like index funds that will be super easy to manage on a 
you know, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, right? And they're not going to scare you long term because you'll you know exactly what you're investing in. Whereas I think with the actively managed funds, if you're willing to do more research, that's awesome and and definitely do so. You know, read a lot of books, you know, watch YouTube videos on different actively managed funds, take advantage of the free resources online. There are tons. Um, and you can definitely look into that. Um, but I always say, you know, passive funds, you know, and I always say this, and also statistically, passively funds do better long term than active funds because you have people trying to outperform the market or time the market or things like that. So you're always going to do better passively because you're not going to have to think about it and decide, hey, should I sell this? Should I buy this? Like, what should I do about it? So that's kind of for anyone getting started out there. I mean, most of my followers are in a similar situation also. And I always recommend let's get you started with very passive funds, either index funds. Um, I would say, yeah, mostly index funds. So how do you feel about things like Robin Hood, Elvest, that type of stuff? I mean, I I love any resource that's out there. I always tell people the more of us talking about personal finance, the better. Um, Robin Hood has been a great resource for people to get started for $1, right? Like I think that there is value to how user experiences on platforms. And I think that traditionally you have Vanguard and Fidelity and Schwab who once you get it open, it's super easy to use, but learning it can be a little bit of a, a hurdle. And so I think with an app that's simply just an app, it made it really easy for people to start on Robinhood. The downside that I feel like with Robinhood specifically is it doesn't offer the full range of index funds. So you have a lot of people investing in stocks but stocks go up and down so much more than an index fund does. And there's no sort of guaranteed return or average return long-term because you're betting on one company. Um, a company like Elvest though, offers you a brokerage just like um, Schwab or Fidelity or Vanguard. And so you're able to actually invest with them. The only downside with Elvest then is they charge you a monthly subscription. So I always try to think about companies and kind of what's in it for them versus what's in it for me. I think if you appreciate Elvest having like an all-in-one stop shop option for you of like, hey, I can you know educate myself on the platform and also have them manage or me manage on their accounts, then that's great. I think I think the biggest thing about personal finance is finding something that works for you and that you enjoy. So I don't look down on any of these companies because I think they all offer something different to everyone. Um, but I think definitely always look into what you're paying for because you have these services like, you know, I repeat them again, <laughs> Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, you know, all of those that are free to use. Um, the only expense is what you invest in. Um, whereas the other kinds may have fees to join or to continue being a member of, but maybe that's a better situation for you because you get other resources. So, you know, no harm, no foul with any of them. It's just kind of finding what works for you. Love this. This has been so helpful, especially for someone who might be starting out with this. So another thing people have issues with when they first start out is credit and building their credit. Yeah. I know you know my story of finding out my credit was already ruined when I turned 18 and having to rebuild it. We just hit 750, by the way. We're doing Woo! great. But I'm really curious to you, your thoughts on building credit, how to – like if you're someone who is about to apply for their first credit card – what would you do? 
Yeah, so I actually had this experience in high school. So I actually didn't have credit. I didn't have a credit card. I, you know, according to the government, I had zero credit history until I was in college. Um, and so middle way through college, I was like, what can I do to build any credit? Like if I have zero, there's a lot of student cards out there or just new grad cards, right? And I think even if you're older and you have no credit, all of these cards also accept anyone who has no credit. They allow you to have a low limit, but be able to use it to build over time. When we think about credit and how credit is made, it's just about payments on time over a long period of time that allows you to grow that credit. So the reason people who are 50 have great credit is because they've been paying off their credit card bills, any mortgages they have, you know, et cetera, et cetera, for 25 years, you know, expecting that they opened it at 25, right? And so if you think about yourself at 25, not having credit, I always tell people, first of all, you know, don't blame yourself. You, you have everything to gain moving forward. But the other thing is just finding a credit card that works for you. So there are all these you know, what you would call sexy cards out there that people use that are like metal or earn you points or rewards or things like that. But I would say the biggest thing for credit is start simple. So I think I opened like a Bank of America cash rewards card that required no credit to start, um, but that built your credit over time. I think I started with a credit limit of $1,000, like so low. And as long as you pay it off every cycle, every month usually is the cycle, over time, it'll go up, right? It's going to take time, but the best thing you can do is just get started with something simple and then over time, add things onto it. I love that. So when it comes to um, someone who is managing their monthly finances, like let's give an example. So there's someone, they live in the city, they've got their emergency fund, they've paid off their credit card debt if they have any, they have a few student loans. But the biggest question I always get asked is how to budget when you are living in a big city. So you might have a credit card. Um, I know you never want to go above a certain percentage on that credit card. They probably know that. How do you recommend thinking about your finances on a month-to-month perspective? Yes. So I always, so budgeting for me, I, I sort of, you know, cringe at the word budget because I think a lot of people think of that word and think, oh my God, I'm going to have to manage every transaction I make and I'm not going to be able to live my life. So I think about my, you know, quote unquote budget in a couple of perspectives. One being like, what are my non-negotiables? Like if you've decided to live somewhere, what is your rent every month? What is your average utilities you spend on? You have to eat. So what do you spend on groceries? Things like that, where we cannot negotiate those things on your budget. Now, when I think about all the other things, I think about, okay, I still want to have fun in the city. So I still spend a very healthy amount going out to dinner, doing gifts for friends, um, going to bars, you know, all of those things are super easy to spend on where you're young, but I do set myself a threshold limit. I think when I first started in San Francisco, I would spend an absurd amount at bars and at restaurants. I mean, even, you know, like going to restaurants, you can easily spend $80 a person. And I think that, you know, 
the cocktails $17 in New York. It's so bad. <laughs> it is. It's terrible. And so I think my biggest thing is when you're first starting out to make it not overwhelming to look at your budget is basically to map out, okay, here's my income for the month. Here are my non-negotiables. Like here's everything I have to pay for. And then of the rest, basically create whatever method works for you. So People always talk about, you know, the 50, 30, 20 rule where you have 50% wants, 30% needs and 20% uh, you spend on other things. Right. And so it is um, or other way around. Sorry. 50% needs 30% wants. If I didn't say that right the first time. <laughs> so um, that is kind of how I think about doing it yourself. So if you subtract those non-negotiables from it, how much do you have left? And when I first started, I just basically split that in half. And I was like, okay, I'm going to spend half of it and the rest of it is going to go into something else, right? Or 75-25, right? Like start slow. Do not start restrictive. Because what I find is the more room you give yourself every month, the longer you'll stay with it and the mm. more you're willing to be aware of it. So I use an app called Copilot, which makes it fun. You have like emojis oh, and things like that. that. Yeah, it's kind of like, it was actually started by a couple of ex-Googlers um, who thought that the current platforms were kind of boring, which they which they totally are. Like you need a budget or mint or th those kinds of things. I find that they require, you know, a lot of extra tracking. But uh, Copilot allows you to create like sections where you have certain topics and you just create overall buckets, right? Like you just create a bucket for fun and entertainment or you create a bucket for food, which is groceries and eating out, right? And so I kind of think the, the longer you're able to watch yourself spend, the more aware you are of your spending and the more you're able to track where your money is going. So at the end of the day, my biggest thing to people I work with is we're not going to make this restrictive. We're going to give you $300 a month to be miscellaneous, like give yourself cover and room because I don't want you to sit here and be like, I'm not enjoying my life because I'm planning for 40 years from now, right? Like, I think that there's a balance of people on Instagram or on you know YouTube being like, you need to save all your money. And then also being 24 years old and wanting to enjoy life with your friends. Like go take that trip, go to the restaurant with your friends, but don't go to that restaurant with your friends 20 nights a month, right? Like think about it as balance and everything in moderation. So that's kind of how I think about breaking up the budget, especially in your first couple of years out of college. You have the rest of your life to save, you know, 50% of your income. Just try to think about it in small to start. Get that Roth IRA funded, 6000 a year. That's awesome. If you can do that in your first year out, that's amazing. After that, hey, you know, I got an increase of 5% in my income. Um, let's just put that 5% towards a brokerage next year, right? Like, just think about it in small increases over time rather than feeling the need to you know increase your investments or anything by a substantial amount every single year I love that perspective because it's very realistic I mean we both lived in really expensive cities yeah. right out of school and it's like as much as I like would want to only like limit myself to spending $300 a month, like that's gone in a weekend because it's so expensive to be here. So I yep. think that's a really, really effective way to look at things. And I especially love that you've mentioned like giving yourself room because I think that 
sometimes it's similar to diet culture in a way when you think about it. When you restrict so much in the beginning and you're like, I'm not even going to buy like coffee for a whole month. I'm never going to do this. I'm only going to eat out once. Then you become really frustrated because you're sucking the joy out of your life. So you've got to give yourself all that room and remind yourself you have your whole life to figure this out. So speaking of- Oh, go ahead. Sorry, real quick. I'm going to add, I also think there's a lot of shame in personal finance that I don't, in, in the same way there's shame in diet culture. Like I think they interact in more ways than people think, right? There's a lot of shame of what you should be doing or what you could be doing or all the things that other people are doing. But like the biggest thing I always say, and it's so cliche to say is personal finance has the word personal in it for a reason, because everyone has different comfort levels emotional traumas with money, background with money of how they were raised. I think there's like a lot of different things that come up when you talk about finances. So finding something that's healthy and that works for you is going to be your most important thing to keep long term. Like if that's 10%, 15%, whatever you can do each month, it is worth it. I love that. And so I'd love to know on your side, like one of my biggest like traumas growing up with money was that like whenever, whatever we had, we would spend. Like, so when I started making money from my internship, like it was gone and I was like, what happened? And it's because like around me, that's just how we operated with money. What was one of yours that you had to overcome, hopefully through the book you mentioned previously? Yeah. I mean, one of my things is, so I grew up you know, in a, in a great household, like we never, you know, worried about money. And I feel very, very, very lucky that that was the case. But one of the things that I, you know, had in sort of my background was that scarcity mindset of my own money, right? Like my parents were very particular from the time I was 13. I only got $200 a year to spend on clothes. And then everything else I had to pay for myself you know, other than education, right? Education, they were covering um, from like a books and textbooks perspective. So I started babysitting. I've had a job since the day I turned 16 and I've had to pay for basically everything I want to participate in since I was 13, right? And so my biggest thing is like the scarcity of, oh, this is just a good year or, oh, this is just a good month or, you know, this could all get taken away. I think for me, it didn't come so much from my parents having any sort of um, background of it, but it came from the idea that all of my money, like you, would just go in one and out the other because I was spending on things that I wanted to do with friends or on activities I wanted to do or, or whatever it may be. So even to this day, I think my biggest thing is I look at my non-negotiables. I'm like, that's great. Those are super high in a high cost of living city. And then I'm like, well, what can I enjoy for myself? I'm a hugely extroverted person. So I put a lot of side for dinners with friends and things like that. But I think it's hard. I mean, even to this day, like I think emotional traumas like don't leave you quickly. Like they take time to go through. And I talk about this with my therapist all the time. I love her. She's amazing. Um, Is I'm like, I, I think I find it hard to care for myself. And for any of you guys who are who love Enneagrams, I'm an Enneagram 2, wing 3. And <laughs> so, so it's like people who want to take care of other people rather than themselves. So my biggest emotional trauma, I would say, that leads to how I spend my money is I love spending money on other people, but I have a really, really hard time putting money aside 
for myself. And I actively intentionally do it every month now, but that's something I needed to get over of like, oh, I don't deserve spending on myself or like, I'd rather, you know, give this to someone else. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that you can do for yourself, we all work jobs so that we can get paid, right? Like we deserve to treat others, but also to treat ourselves with like love and kindness. And so that's something that, doesn't come easy to me, but that was very important for me to overcome to be able to say like, yeah, I'm going to treat myself to a new shirt this month, or I'm going to treat myself to X, Y, or Z. Right. Um, so totally. I love that. Well, thanks for sharing. First of all, I think it's a really something people really struggle with, especially people who have a scarcity mindset sometimes, but also like for me, if it's, if it's another person, I've, I don't even think twice about spending on someone else. And like with my boyfriend, he's very into personal finance, but like um, we had to have talks about money because I, I would be like, I'll buy dinner or whatever. And he'd be like, we can't like do this every night. Like you think it's okay to buy dinner every night because you're buying it for us, but it still doesn't mean that it's like financially responsible, you know? So it's like- I had the same conversation. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) I am always like giving to my significant other. I'm like, Mike, like I want to get this for you and I want to do these things. And he's like, you you don't have to. We need to do a whole separate episode on finances within relationships because yeah. it's crazy. Um, but I want before we go, the last big topic I'd love to go over is building wealth. And yes. um, when you are young, it is important to just get your reins on actually, you know, managing your finances and get into the rhythm of that. But once you've done that, what would you say are the big steps to building wealth, and how should you start to think about that if you're in your early twenties? Yeah. I would say the the biggest fundamental sort of mindset change that helped me was living below my means. So always intentionally living under my income, right? It's really easy as your income grows to be like, hey, you know, I got a 10% raise, which means I can spend 10% more on rent next year. But I think what I've intentionally done is I've kept my income growing but I've kept my expenses the same. So since I got to SF, you know, maybe they've grown a couple hundred dollars a month or maybe a hundred dollars a month, right? But my income has grown drastically more than that. And so what I've focused on doing is two things. One, increasing your income is gonna be the biggest driver of building wealth long-term. And I think within tech, that's either going for the promotion or changing jobs. Within any industry, it's changing jobs, right? Like get your two years of experience or your three years of experience and then jump to another place to get more and always ask for 20 to 30% more than what you're currently getting paid at your role. Because even if they meet you in the middle, it's a you know 10 to 15% raise for you. So that's number one I would focus on for building wealth. The number two is living below your means. So if you always think about spending less than you make, long-term, you'll build that wealth through investing. So like I was saying, whether it's through a robo-advisor or through managing index funds or through opening your own brokerage and trying to figure out like what you want to invest in, as long as you're invested in the market over the long-term, building wealth will come. So that's what I would say the two things are is intentionally put stuff aside every month that's under, you know, spend less than you make and invest the rest. 
and then also try to increase your income as much as you can over the long term. I love that. I think something that we're always told, even as women, is that you need to save your money, save your money, save your money. And if there's anything you've learned in this episode, it's that save your emergency fund, invest and build your money and live your life and increase your income. So people always ask yeah. me, like, how do you how do you manage living in a big city? I make a lot of money. That's what you have to do is like you have to increase your income. That's the only way you're really going to be whatever it is, like a millionaire at some point. Because as long as you're increasing and then continuing to stay in that, you know, means that you've built for yourself where you're happy enough, but you're also, you know, being smart with your money, that's where it's going to go. So last question, yeah. which is just like um, personally being nosy. Thoughts on yeah. real estate investing. Go ahead. Real quick, before I get into real estate, one thing to just add to what you just said. So, you know, Alexis and I are very lucky to work at Google and have the incomes that we have. And to live in big cities, I do think that having a high income is going to help you have a better quality of life and be able to invest, right? And that's through increasing that income through switching jobs. If you live in a lower cost of living area, try to maximize like living below your means and trying to move as much as you can with income, right? Like if Alexis or I made the income in the middle of Iowa or in a Midwestern city that was much lower cost of living, we would be enigmas. We would be like the one in a million in that state, right? So you, I always think about compare like to like. So if you don't live in a New York or a San Francisco, don't compare the income or the spending that we have with you, right? Like it's always you versus you, right? Like I always say, compare yourself to your prior self because comparisons will hurt you over the long term. I hear a lot of people that are like, it's easy for you because you make a bigger income, but their expenses are also, you know, half of what I have. So it's all about living within what works for you. Now, on your question, which was real estate, love the concept of real estate. I think real estate is an advanced building wealth technique. So my thing I always say to people is start with living on less than you make. Then after that, let's pay off your debt. And then after that, let's get started investing. And then once you're comfortable investing with like the money going up and down over the short term and going up over the long term, then if there's extra capital in a significant amount, let's invest in real estate. Now, I have very controversial opinions about real estate because a lot of people are like, buying a single family home is a terrible investment. And I'm like, yes, but it's an investment in my happiness. So at some point, I'm going to buy a single family home in the Bay Area, right? Like, I don't have the money to buy it right now. Truthfully, the money is not there because how homes here are like $2 million. But I think over the long term, I will do that. Now, the other side of real estate is real estate investing. And I think that is like a lucrative side thing you can do. But you need to make sure that your foundational grounding, i.e. your budgeting, your investing, your paying off debt, your saving is there before you even get started in real estate. It's quite sexy these days to like, oh, I bought this $30,000 house in the middle of, you know, this random place. But I think it, it it could be really, really great. And it's, you know, one of my next things I want to get into. But it's one of those things that you really need to have, like, a strong foundation. Think of yourself as a house. <laughs> like, if you <laughs> can manage to, you know, live through an earthquake, then go and buy another house, right? Like, I love. 
So mm-hmm. that's my that's my thoughts on real estate. <laughs> well, I appreciate it too because I think you're right. Like probably the thing you he- see the most, and I don't know if you're on TikTok at all, but it's the big thing on TikTok, flipping houses, all that type of thing. Yep. While it's very sexy at the moment, like you got to get your shit in order before you can get there too. And I think that's something with um, personal finance that's really important to note is that it is not something you can solve in a month. You have to build habits over the long term, which is why you should read Sessie's book, favorite book. Atomic Atomic Habits. Habits. (laughs) So, and I will teach you to be rich. So to end the episodes, I love to ask my guests the same question for everyone, which is finish this sentence with something that you want young people to know. You're too smart for. You're too smart to not think about your future. Love it. You know, it's like so corny to say, but it's also, you know, you're too smart to not think about future you. I think in college, mm. I also, always used to tell myself, future you will thank current you for writing that essay right now. So future you will thank current you for putting 10% aside for investing. I mean, I love that, especially the essay part resonates because you write because yeah. <laughs> that's the truth right there. Thank yeah. you so, so much for coming on the podcast. Where can everyone find you? Plug yourself for everyone to get more of your knowledge. Yes. So right now I am only on one platform, though that will grow over time. Um, It's finances reimagined. I always think about reimagining finances. So it's finances reimagined. um, And over time I'll, I'll build further, but that's where I'm at now. Thank you so much. So excited for this to go live. Thank you so much for listening to Too Smart for This. I really appreciate it. And if you loved this episode or love the show at all, please be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Don't forget to check us out at You're Too Smart for This for more information. Follow me on Instagram at Alexis Barber. And do not forget that you are too smart to not love yourself.